Welcome to the Sport and Rights podcast, brought to you by the Center for Sport and Human Rights. Hi there, I'm Mary Harvey, Chief Executive of the Center for Sport and Human Rights. On this podcast, we're going to talk about Qatar. Qatar's human rights record has been in the spotlight since they won the right to host the men's FIFA World Cup back in 2010. Recently, we've seen some major developments in labor laws in the country, but there are still clearly a lot of challenges, not the least of which is to see that standards developed for the World Cup take root across the country. I had the pleasure of digging into what's happened in Qatar with two people who've been at the center of all the changes. Amba Yusun is the General Secretary of Building and Woodworkers International. BWI is the Global Trade Union for Construction Workers, representing some 12 million workers worldwide. Also joining us is His Excellency Hassan Al-Thawadi, the Secretary General of the Supreme Committee for Delivery and Legacy, and the Chief Executive of the Qatar World Cup Local Organizing Committee. The Supreme Committee is the agency responsible for all the World Cup infrastructure in Qatar, so that includes, among other things, building all the stadiums. I really enjoyed recording this podcast. I appreciated Hassan's candor that negotiations with BWI weren't easy, and it was interesting to hear Ambit describe how they were prepared for a long battle, but were pleasantly surprised. But most of all, this is a compelling case study on what's possible when two parties really commit to stakeholder engagement. It's a podcast about how sport can help take practical steps to protect workers' health and safety and begin to bring changes to wider society. It's also a very human story about how unlikely partnerships can bear fruit. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Thanks for listening. So with that, I'd like to kick off as we do in football. Um, and I'd like to pose the first one to Hassan Al-Tawadi. Today, we want to focus on the Supreme Committee's relationship with BWI because it's a fascinating case study. Um, but, you know, one of the things, before we get into that, one of the things that I think is so interesting about your particular journey is you, you are on the bid committee. You've been involved in this since the very beginning, right? So when you were writing the bid way back when, right? 2009, whatever that was, 2008, 2009, you know, to what extent were labor rights on your agenda when you were part of the bidding process and how aware were you of the challenges that you were going to face, um, you know, as you, you know, if you won and, and went to implementation? Uh, oof, that takes me back quite a while. Um, I, I think over, over 10, it, 10 years. You know, definitely walking down memory lane. Um, I think, look, when, when we came and first approached the bid, right, and approached our, our attempt at hosting the World Cup, you know, from, from day one, we recognized that this was more than just a football event more than just a sporting event. You know, we had a, we had a full-on conviction that uh, events such as the World Cup, such as uh, uh, the Olympics, these major events are an opportunity. And they're an opportunity to serve as a catalyst um, for a host nation to achieve its goals. It's a catalyst to, uh, you know, for positive change and it's a transformative catalyst. That was something that we knew and recognized from day one. Um, the question was, you know, what did we, you know, what elements did we look at or what elements were we looking or, or, or recognizing that needed to change? And, and to do that, we got inspiration from the Qatar National Vision 2030 that, you know, I, 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 
for those who don't know, it was a vision that was launched, uh, I think around 2008, 2007, 2008, uh, with a number of uh, pillars, uh, which had uh, economic diversification, uh, environmental sustainability, uh, human development and social development. And under human and social development, there were pillars in there or there were elements that addressed improving the working conditions for uh, laborers. So we recognize, you know, we, 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 you know, we saw that the World Cup, us hosting the World Cup or us even bidding to host the World Cup could be a platform and a conduit to assisting in the country achieving its overall development goals. And so encompassed in that, part of it was improvement of labor rights, improvement you know, of labor reforms. You know, the country was recognized the need to, to, to improve uh, the conditions. Unfortunately, because of the significant and extra, you know, and, and rapid development that occurred, I don't think the, you know, the tools were not there, whether it's in terms of enforcement, whether it's in terms of understanding what kind of tools were needed. There, it, there was still a lot of more work to be done in that field. And we, and we felt that the World Cup was going to be, you know, a very important vehicle to achieving some of those goals. Um, and then, you know, very soon, and, and, and you know, the, the, the proof is what, very soon right after we won the right to host the World Cup, we went on an exploratory uh, process trying to understand what was in the market, what were the challenges. I'll be honest with you, during the bid stage, we didn't do a very deep, you know, very hectic deep dive into this. It was post winning the bid that we actually started doing a deep dive, looking at the conditions, looking at the areas, and then kind of setting up the strategy within the Supreme Committee once it got established, how are we going to address this? Um, I, won't, I won't lie to you, early on, we didn't expect it to have this much focus. You know, while we internally recognized that this was going to be, you know, a vehicle to achieving some of the goals, and we recognized that, you know, labor reforms is an important uh, element, we never, you know, we never imagined that it was going to be this extensive, this significant, this much focus uh, on it. Uh, not to say that, you know, that, that, that there's any regret in any shape or form, uh, but, you know, early on, we did not recognize or we did not realize that this was, you know, this was going to take that much of a focus. Uh, but the one good thing is it was, you know, there was a validation towards how we viewed this tournament in the end. And especially, you know, with hindsight, looking back at where we are today, the approach that we took in setting out the bid and in, you know, aiming to host the World Cup, it was a validation and vindication for why we wanted to do that. Looking at the results that we're at today, looking at the partnerships that we've built, looking at what we've been able to achieve over the last 10 years. Um, you know, I think, I think it, was, it was the right choice to bid. We were, you know, we've made the most out of winning the, the right to host uh, the World Cup. And the approach that we took in, in bidding and in hosting and in extracting the legacy values out of it and using this as a truly transformative uh, vehicle um, it's, it's, you know, like I said, it's, it's a validation and vindication for our approach. Okay. Terrific. Thanks, Hassan. So that's a good segue into, right. And, and it's candid. Yes. I mean, there's, there's some candor in your response, right. And, and I, like you, I've been involved in a bid, right. And you plan and then there's an award and there takes on a life yes. of its own because you start doing stuff. So Let's go to 2015, mm -hmm. which is kind of where the story yes. starts, uh, picks up. Um, so Ambit, I'm going to come to you. Um, in 2015, you ran, uh, BWI ran a campaign called Red Card for FIFA, Stand Up for Workers' Rights in Qatar. 
And that in that campaign, you called for independent labor inspections with trade union representation to ensure that international labor rights are respected. And there was also a case that was brought through the Swiss OECD national contact point. So that's 2015. And then 12 months later, you sign an agreement with the man who's also on this call, Hassan Altawadi. You sign an agreement with the Supreme Committee. And I've seen the picture of you two sitting side by side, sending, signing that MOU. Um, take me through what happened in, you know, leading up to that report and, and then the decision to work with Hassan and the Supreme Committee in this historic MOU. You know, Mary, we actually uh, prepared for a long battle, you know, we are prepared for a long campaign and we printed thousands of red cards for FIFA, no? And we never thought it will be, you know, after a year we will have an agreement. No, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing because we were really, we didn't expect this to happen. We were really prepared to campaign, to bring it to the media, to bring it to our members. And we are trying to push FIFA for their responsibility for the Qatar workers. And to tell you, th th this is a bit of, you know, behind the scenes stories, no? <laughs> this is the time to tell the behind the scenes. It wasn't easy. We had a hard time negotiating with Hassan. It took <laughs> us, I think it took us Hassan, a five to seven international mission. Yes. And Hassan welcomed us. I think this. So those those are those are visits. Those yes. are visits. Five to seven, and we always asked for a meeting. It was a hard meeting, and Hassan always meets us, but it was tough, no? Yes. So it took us a lot of negotiation, a lot of, uh, and I know Hassan was also prepared for the counter attack, no? <laughs> but uh, I think. Uh, that dialogue actually has transformed from dialogue to cooperation. Absolutely. So it took us a long time to, to, to talk about it until we find a common issue. Yes. We did not deny that we have differences. We don't agree about the trade union. Yes. But we said we agree on health and safety. Let's save Let's save the workers and let's take the first step. But we are not, you know, we are not taking away the hard issues. Yeah. We agreed to continue on that dialogue, but let's start the first step. And I think that's the key, that both of us agreed that the safety and the lives of migrants are important. And we took the... We, 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 we took the, the step of signing an agreement. And I'd like to, to of course, to, to uh, recognize Hassan's role in that. I, I understand that it wasn't easy. It's political. It's a political move within Qatar uh, to take a step and signing uh, with a global union like us. We, we don't know each other, you know. We started on a wrong foot immediately, uh, but uh, Hassan took the, 
the step and later one I can tell you that uh, the Supreme Committee took our agreement seriously. Absolutely. I mean, if you allow me, Mary, to, to add to what Ambed said, I think, you know, as he correctly pointed out, you know, we'd met several times, you know, we'd, we'd, you know, the, the BWI would have a number of visits in, into Doha and we'd always, um, you know, our, our meetings were always candid, open, transparent, um, and respectful. I think as, as, yeah. as Ambed said, you know, and, and we were very open with each other, you know, um, in terms of what issues uh, were put on the table, what issues were discussed. And as, as Ambed correctly pointed out, and we've always said it, we might not, you know, we, we won't see eye to eye in everything. And that's, that's the reality. Uh, but I think what we were able to come out of these meetings, and, and like I said, you know, sometimes we were, you know, on, on my side, I was on the receiving end, you know, a number of, of, of BWI members, you know, went at it and, and I'd give back my opinion and so on. But with these candid and open discussions, we all came down to one conclusion. We cared about the workers. We cared mm -hmm. about the health and safety of the workers. And we came out with the conclusion that we could disagree on a lot of issues on how to get to the goal. But mm -hmm. ultimately, we have the same goal. And it was, it was at that point that we thought, you know what, let's, let's work on it. You know, from my side, I remember, you know, talking to the team and, and I'd, I'd, I'd grown to have a lot of respect for BWI as an organization, the members that came always, I had a lot of uh, respect for, but more importantly also, and I, and I say this, you know, in front of Ambit as well, and, and, you know, in recognition also for the great work, you know, that, that the late Jin Suk had done, you know, there were, there were people that I could have a very candid, very open discussion uh, because it was built on respect and transparency. I realized that we can, we, you know, there's a foundation here that we can build upon. And there's a foundation that I can be very open with what restrictions I have and what issues I face and how we can move ahead and what, ma what issues matter to BWI and, you know, and how, can, how can we make it work? The idea was how can we make it work? There was, it was, it was gonna be a win-win situation with the winners ultimately being the workers, the migrant workers. Yeah. And I still remember that conversation, you know, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was the Workers' Cup when we met in the Yes. Cup. It was the yes. Workers' Cup when we first opened this discussion, me and Ambit. Uh, and, you know, I still remember the side room that we had that conversation in. And then from there, we took it on board. And, you know, it was, um, I, I think for both, both organizations, right? The Supreme Committee and BWI, both looking at it from the point of view of, Whatever you do, people, you know, the cynics are going to look at ways of, of criticizing it if this doesn't work. So I think yeah. both of us, both of us are putting a lot on the line uh, in terms of, you know, from my side, it's making sure that, you know, we, we, we put something in place that uh, helps us achieve the goal and move forward. And, you know, it isn't seen in any way as, as you know, to a certain extent as, as, as being, you know, smacked around or, or being, you know, let's say, pushed around and, and, and doing it out of a position of, let's say, uh, duress. And I think from mm -hmm. Ambit's side and BWI, I'm speaking on your behalf, Ambit, but I'm assuming it's also, you know, for people not to look at it as, you know, okay, so they signed an agreement, there must be a lot of money, a pot, pot of money, and they were bought out. Yes, you know? yes. So, so it, was, it was one of those things where in reality, I think, you know, both of us took a step uh, into the unknown. But again, the, the one foundation was, you know, I recognized in Ambit 
I'm a VWI, an organization that wants to achieve what I want to achieve and what we want to achieve in the Supreme Committee. And I, I think it's the same thing with AMBIT and BWI as well, looking into us. Um, and and that, was, that was the start of it, honestly. And, and you know, it's probably for me, I, I say this, you know, in all honesty, it's probably one of the most uh, fulfilling um, contracts or MOUs that I've ever, you know, I've ever signed in my life. Uh, and put into place because I think the well, value that's come out of this has been has been tremendous. Well, I want to I want to dive into that. <laughs> so, um, so what, one of the things that you know I've and I've been in this process myself, where you know you're not going to agree. It's a negotiation, but the thing you put in the in the center of the room, which everybody agrees on, is the people. Yes. So the people that are affected. We're going to disagree on maybe a bunch of other stuff, but we agree that we want to protect people. So. Ambit, can you tell me um, what were the elements that ended up in the final MOU that you and Hassan signed that were that were really critical from your side that had to be in there? Actually, well, the most important part of the MOU is not written in the document. Our document okay. is a simple understanding yeah. of working together believing that okay. health and safety is important. It's, it's not a collective agreement. It's not a commercial contract. It's basically a commitment of working together. And that's actually tough. We have, you know, there's, it's, yes. it's, it's, it's really, we are really relying on trust. Yes. That we will work together. So I, I think, you know, the MOU was become the conclusion of that confidence building mechanism that we did in the last two months, no? Yes. Uh, so I also understand it's uh, signing is the easiest thing to do, but being prepared to implement your commitment, I think, and I think that's 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 the essence of of uh, you know uh, of the process that we went through of knowing each other and talking mm -hmm. to each other, what are the expectations? And for us also, for BWI, Hassan, you know, it's, it took me a long time also to go through the process of, of convincing my leadership and our members that this is, you know, th this is a good strategy for us to improve the working condition. And, and I think, so not, it's well, it's the it, trust, actually, that this was yeah. very important in that MOU. Well, and you're both, I mean, you're both senior leaders of your organizations, right? And this is the trust fault yeah. because in 2015, you guys are miles apart, mm -hmm. right? And Hassan, you have trade unions that are being heavily criti critical of the Supreme Committee, right? And that's Ambit side. And then you know, you, you fast forward a 12 months and you're doing an MOU, but given how far apart you were at the start, I mean, you can come together as two individuals, but you also have to sell it yes. to your own, your own groups, yes. right? So tell me a little bit about, you know, from a leadership perspective, Hassan, what was it, what was it like to have to turn around and say, this is what we need to do. Yeah. We need to sign up with this group. Like, I think, just take me through I that. mean, again, it's, you know, we were, we were far apart, like I said, in, in terms of the paths to be taken, right? But the one thing that we were common on was, you know, the, the, we had a common goal to achieve. And, and honestly, I think when you start focusing on what's more common, you, you, you start realizing 
you know, as far apart as you are, there's ways of compromise that you can get, get to achieve what you need to achieve. I think that's because that's a very, very important factor because if we realize, you know, if, if at the very beginning we realize we're too far apart, no matter what happens, I wouldn't have been able to convince myself or convince anybody with me of achieving that. So that was, that was a very important starting point. But then from there, what we did, you know, what I did was, um, you know, obviously there was, there, was, there was reluctance, there was a concern, you know, we're bringing on board trade unions, these trade unions that have been very vocal and critical over the years against us and ran, you know, very effective and, and, and um, uh, tough campaigns against us to actually bring them into our sites, bring them into, uh, you know, the, in, in, into the inner circle, if you will. Uh, and, and there was, there was, you know, obviously resistance and reluctance from a lot of people. Um, I've been blessed, you know, honestly, from my senior management, there's been support. You know, like I said, the, the thing is, improving working conditions has, is, 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 a, uh, is something that, this, you know, this, within the state of Qatar at the highest level, there is a commitment to. So it wasn't necessarily a, a hard sell for, you know, uh, uh, for, for uh, uh, the leadership or for my, for my bosses. It was, the, but there was also a certain reluctance, if you will, once you start going towards the implementation. Once you start spreading it, there was a bit of reluctance. There was a bit of a concern. You know, people on the sites, our engineers and so on. There were people that were reluctant that, you know, all of a sudden you'll find trade unions walking in and looking at how we're working and how we're doing things. Especially keeping in mind that during 2015, you know, while we, you know, we established our worker welfare standards, while there was a lot of stuff available, um, it obviously wasn't up to the standards that we wanted. And people were always reluctant saying, you know, and, and I did have these conversations, a number of people saying, wait up, don't do it. You know, let's not sign up now. Let's give it a bit of time. Let's improve the certain conditions and then bring them on board. You know, right now, things are not up to standard. And, and there was that, that bit of a pushback or resistance. But in the end, I mean, for, for us and, you know, the conversation that I had with everybody was, it's, you know, I think it's what, it's what Ambit said. There's confidence and there's trust you know, between us. And it was, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was, a, it was an exercise, a huge exercise in trust and confidence in that we're, you know, we need them now to get to where we want to get to. We need them now to be able to help us out in achieving our common goal. We need them now towards looking at the work that we're doing and building upon their uh, expertise, the foundation that BWI offers, the vast array of, of uh, skills that are available from BWI so that we can actually start genuinely achieving what we want to achieve. And, you know, it took a lot of, it took a lot of discussions and ultimately it was, it was something that, you know, I, <laughs> let's just say I pulled the trigger and I said, let's do it. And, and we signed, you know, and we signed it. And, and, you know, I have to say, I, and as I said, it's, it's, it's been a validation and vindication of that. I mean, you know, there's one example that I always that always sticks to my mind. You know, when we launched, uh, and I, like like Ambit said, you know, we're, we're we're miles apart when it comes to trade unions in Qatar. And just so we're clear, trade unions in Qatar. I have a, the utmost of respect for trade unions internationally, and I've told Ambit this. You know, trade unions I think represent more than just protecting workers. They're actually, uh, um, you know, a very important part of civil society. Absolutely. I have my views on Qatar anyways, but that's a different part. But we recognize what trade unions offer. And so what we did was we developed the worker welfare forums. You know, in, in, instead of trade unions, actual representative trade unions, we developed the worker welfare forums where workers- How do those work? Well, effectively, we started off, you know, with uh, each company uh, creating a forum, you know, so the workers uh, themselves uh, would have a representative. They'd sit down in these meetings. They'd talk about their issues. 
Uh, they'd raise whatever concerns that they have or grievances. And then this representative would represent them in front of uh, both their employers and as well, you know, as a point of contact within the Supreme Committee. They started off as, you know, these, the representatives being appointed and they've evolved now towards uh, them being uh, elected, or at least a majority of them. I think about 84% of the workers have elected representative, representatives. And I think we're talking about, if I'm not mistaken, about 81% electoral turnout or, or, or voter turnout for, yeah. the, for, for the workers. I think we're talking about 14,000 workers or something of the sort, um, um, you know, having voted their representatives. So it started off small little groups with people appointed to them towards being a genuine representative uh, body. But the one thing that sticks to my mind is, I think it was, I think Ambit and the team had done an inspection. If I'm not mistaken, remind me, Ambit, I think it was in a Rayan Stadium. Rayan, and then, yes. And Rayan, and then I think you came to me and somebody else came to me as well and told me, by the way, uh, you know, there's a number of people that have an issue with the grievances and so on. And I said, but you know, there's the work welfare forms. And, and I think you came to me and told me, they don't know how it works. They, you know, they're, they're, there's, there's, there's still more, you know, lack of information or they don't know how it works. I can't recall what it was, but it was, was the fact that worker welfare forms weren't working up to the standards that we wanted or how we expected it to be. And for me, that was, that was probably one of the most important light bulbs in my head where it showcased the importance of this partnership. You know, we had this thing set up. We thought it was working well. We thought it was working fine. But I think Ambit himself, you know, I think that's what you, you told me you know sometimes how to speak to workers and you know how to find out whether, whether things are, you know, we might think that things are working, but because of your experience and your expertise, you can see whether it works or not. And we went to work together and, you know, I'd asked, I'd asked you know, BWF to help us empowering these worker welfare forums. And, I'm, and I'm, I'd like to think that we're, you know, we're miles apart from where we were today. It's evolved into a place today that's something to be proud of. There's obviously a lot more work to be done, but it's just one example of even though we were apart, if you will, on the nitty gritty stuff. In, in the essence, we were still there. We were still, we were still, you know, we still shared the same goal. We needed, we needed a forum that would represent the workers and their concerns and their issues and where they can raise their grievances, you know, without any fear of retaliation. We developed something ad hoc here in Qatar with BWI. We, make, we, we moved it from something that was very superficial towards something that's more meaningful. And to take it a step further, today I'm very proud to say that the government is looking at our little project yeah. and establishing it outside. They're looking at you know these joint committees and worker committees outside of the Supreme Committee. Isn't isn't it? So there have been re a recent spate yeah. of of yes. labor reforms. Yeah. I, and one of these, I think, the worker welfare forums are now written into Qatar yes. law. Is that right? Yeah. The joint, the, the, the joint, I don't know if it's called worker welfare forums. I can't remember the exact terminology. That they welfare use, yes, committees, joint committees. committees, workers committees. That's it. Right. So just again, for, for our audience, I mean, unions are not allowed yes. in, by law in Qatar. So this is now from that standpoint, you now have a, a, a 12 million, you know, strong union coming in, BWI, that you're working with to establish a way of having worker representation that reflects, you know, a, a way of giving feedback that, that they're protected. Yes. But just, just to recap the MOU, the MOU provided for, in addition to worker welfare forums, inspections, um, independent inspections. Yes. 
So the independence of the inspections, I think, is the most important part of it. Right? Oh, absolutely. So it was, I mean, it's effectively yep. joint working groups, and and you know, as, yeah. as you said, it was it's it's you know through the joint working groups for there to be independent inspections for members of BWI to come in uh, to sites, you know, uh, uh, choose some of the uh, um, stadium sites, then look on, and then and accommodation sites as well, and do these inspections, and then there's a joint report that comes out uh, um, annually. Uh, but I think, it, you know, maybe also it's important to point out the evolution of it. When we first started, we started off with, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to remind me, it was joint inspections in, with companies that had, represent, that had BWI representatives in their home yeah. countries. Accredited yeah. BWI uh, representatives in their home countries. Mm. And we started off with, you know, and, and it started off with a relatively narrow focus. And I think on this one, you know, I have to say, you know, uh, it, it's, it was more of the conservative side on me and more of the trustworthy side from AMBIT and BWI to start off with maybe a smaller scope than what would have initially been anticipated or hoped for. But for me, it was, it was knowing that with this success, we can build upon it. It was a small little step, but with, you know, and, and it proved its success. And I think very rapidly, we started expanding that scope to the extent that it's now on all our sites. It's not limited to, uh, you know, uh, international companies are not limited to uh, certain entities. It's, it's, it's within, within our entire sites and entire projects. That's why I think the, the MOU is, has been a live uh, document to yes. us because it's only a starting point. It's, it's a statement of commitment. But after that, it grew. Yes. You know, we, we, we talk about health and safety in these sites, then it expanded. We talk about training for the uh, yes. workers representative then we help them organize it and then we talk about other issues because at the end of the day it's not anymore the boundaries we are now having a partnership of making sure that the whole worker welfare standards are implemented you know when you do inspection you just don't look at health and safety you look at the, yes. the complete picture you know and you know, it's not something that we fought and negotiated. It is something that evolved together, and absolutely. we see it necessary. No, so and, and for us, there's so, an evolution. Absolutely, of, of absolutely. This. And just to point out one more element, you know, I still recall one of the stadiums. I won't mention which one, but one of the stadiums, you know, our, our standards were were quite high, and then you know, for for different reasons, different factors, uh, the standards on the site fell fell below what was expected. And honestly, you know, again, we, we saw it, we recognize it internally. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not taking anything away from the team, but it was also, you know, when BWI came and saw us what was happening, we were able to put a plan together that, you know, addressed these issues, you know, the way we put it and leaning on BWI's skill and experience, we were able to lean on them in developing a, reme a, a remedial solution or a solution that remedied this in a very efficient and effective manner. And again, and again, it's it's uh, you know it's it's like Ambit said. It was you know it's it's not it's not this is the this is the boundaries of the MOU and this is what we're going to be stuck with. You know, the MOU ended up becoming honestly the way I see it, it ended up becoming a ticket for both of us just to sit down and get the work done. You know, just something yeah. that yeah. a a, pre, a prefix you know a preface for yeah. us to sit down and work. Exactly. But once we started yeah. working, and again, I cannot emphasize this enough with transparency trust and mutual respect uh 
we were able to achieve a lot. And, and keeping in mind, we didn't necessarily always agree on the way. You know, that, that's an important factor. You know, it's, it's, we still might have had different opinions on different things, but we were always able to find room for compromise to achieve the uh, common goal. And the, the oh, one more oh, point, it's actually the, it doesn't mean I don't want to have the impression that we solved all the problem. No, of course not. But I think our partnership, our cooperation provides an avenue, but there's a problem we talk. We call yes. each other, we fix yes. it. So it's a, you know, it's a mechanism for resolution. And that one actually is the most important part. I was trying to tee up a conversation about the importance of stakeholder engagement. And you guys completely uh, uh, just, just had the, the conversation I was hoping to have, <laughs> which is you know, one of the things that I learned, um, you know, when you're doing, especially if you're on the sports side of things, is there's a lot of fear mm -hmm. around, am I going to be criticized? You know, there's a lot at stake. There's also fear on your side, Ambit. You know, you're, you're a big union and you're going in and having a conversation with people and, and unions aren't, aren't allowed by law in that country. So for both of you, and yet the stakeholder engagement piece, which I'd like to, to poke into a little bit. Um, you know, when we do work at the Center for Sport and Human Rights, we try to convince sports bodies that, that stakeholders like BWI or others, Human Rights Watch, are our critical friends. They're the ones who aren't necessarily going to tell you what you want to hear, but they're going to tell you what you need to know. That you must know. So can you talk a little bit about what you learned, I think, because both of you took a trust fall, right? Yes. I mean, Ambit, you know, both of you, and you had to sell it internally. So there's a lot at stake for both of you individually, right? To, to make this work because of who you work for. So if you could maybe just talk about what you learned through this process and maybe in particular, Hassan, any advice you have, because there are a lot of organizing committees and sports bodies who are really fearful of, of taking that leap of faith to starting to work with those that have written big reports about them, like, you know, like Red Card, right? That, that's hard for a lot of sports organizations to go across that, that chasm and engage. So can you maybe tell me a little bit about what you learned through the stakeholder engagement of working with each other? that you'd like others to know? I, I think it's important first to recognize, and look, we, again, we were blessed, right? Because first and foremost, we all recognized here that this is not purely a sporting event, right? We were not just a standard organizing committee that was going to come and put together uh, a, a tournament. Uh, and that was it, you know, build a couple of stadiums and walk away. We recognized that this was, as I said, a vehicle. The, the gravity and the importance and the opportunity that hosting this tournament had for the country overall uh, was, was ingrained in us. And because of that, we were able to recognize and, and you know, dig into what was considered important elements. Because I've had those conversations, you know, not everybody saw it, you know, saw, saw eye to eye. Some people turned around and said, you're responsible just for, you know, just for delivering a World Cup. What's this got to do with you? And, and, you know, when, when you look at it from that point of view, then you're always going to say, it's not part of my field. It's not part of my sphere. It's not within my remit. Somebody else has got to do something. And, and it's just, it just ends up, uh, you know, you end up not becoming a, 
part of a solution or part of the conversation to reach a solution. So first, I think, you know, for, for any organizing committee, of course, this is, this is my personal opinion. You, know, you always have to recognize that, you know, if you're hosting a major international event, uh, you are part of a bigger conversation than purely just hosting the, 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 the event itself. And then how do you utilize that event and, you know, the nature of your organization? We were blessed from day one because we recognized the significance of this project and the work that we needed to do. We created an organization uh, and we had the support, as I said, of, 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 of uh, uh, you know, my, my bosses uh, to creating an organization that was empowered to engaging these issues, engaging and working within these issues. Now, obviously, even so, there was still some resistance. There was still some reluctance. Um, and the reluctance will always end up becoming, you know, it's, it's not within our sphere. Again, it, comes, it brings us back to the first quest question. Are you just here to host a football event? Are you just here to host athletes? Are you just here to host, uh, you know, something that's within a very small, clearly defined, but limited scope? Or are you willing to expand your horizon and expand that and grab that opportunity and recognize what this is truly, what, what it truly is? It's a stepping stone. Um, you know, from our side, we, 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 we recognized it. And even with some, some resistance here or there, I think the conviction that we had was, was, you know, allowed us to kind of overcome a lot of the resistance and a lot of the conversations, um, you know, and, and that's, that's effectively, that, that's, that's the one message. I know it might sound, and I do apologize if it sounds very grandiose, because I know when people, you know, hear me speak about this in particular, they, they you know, it's, it does sound very grandiose. And, and sometimes, dare I say it, you know, slightly pompous <laughs> and I really don't it's 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 an honest you know conviction and belief we had you know from day one uh and and with that you know having that conviction because you're going to come through very hard days and you're going to come through very hard you know rough times when when criticisms are being thrown at you from left right and center and, and you know the funny thing is especially on our side and I'm sure Ambit's you know experienced it himself you know we face criticisms from you know the outside and you face criticism from the inside, both of them criticizing the same action that you've taken, but from opposing point of views. And sometimes you're wondering, you know, somebody's criticizing me from an action I've taken, you know, why did you do this? Because it means this, 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 and somebody else turns around and criticizes the same action, but in a completely opposing way. And you're just sitting down in the middle of it, you know, continuously, it needs, you know, you need, you need to be true to the conviction and true to the belief and pushing forward step by step. And, and I'm speaking to you again, Mary, and, you know, a lot of the people that you've come across have, have had to go probably through, you know, harsher uh, uh, examples than I've had to go through. But it's, I think, you know, again, it all comes down to, um, you know, the, the, the extent of the conviction that you have and believing that it will be validated and vindicated down the road. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, yep. I'm proud to say that this is, this is where we're at today. So, so I now want to talk about, so this is a relationship that began in 2016 through till today, right? But I want to now look at the bigger picture. So stadiums are built, right? Stadiums are done. So let's talk about the greater impact. So, so beyond the scope of the MOU, which was stadiums, mm -hmm. right, Ambit? Yeah. And now, so I'd like, I'd like to kick off with Ambit. Ambit, in other areas of Qatar, is it now possible for you to work in other areas outside of 
World Cup sites? Has that is has there been an, an opportunity to do that? Okay, uh, maybe before I go outside, I think we should try to uh, see appreciate first uh, what has been done. Uh, okay. I think because the joint inspection, it's not a replacement for government inspection in enforcement. It's not. No. Uh, a joint inspection is not a typical corporate checklist uh, type of uh, code of conduct you kind of publish and, you know, I think I would say this is more serious than that, no? Mm -hmm. Because, uh, uh, you know, uh, Hassan was mentioning about this meeting when we raised our comment. Actually, we make a long list during our inspection. We see problem. Companies prepared. They clean those the, the site. It looks beautiful. We know this. We are we, we know how it works. But there's a long list. But but uh, Hassan and I understand this is not about the long list of problem. This is about fixing the problem. Yes. So when when we talk, when I call, when I talk to Hassan. I know Hassan would appreciate telling him the truth. You know, I know that Hassan don't want a glossy report of an inspection. You know, yeah. sometimes inspection is a glossy report with all the checklists and you know, <laughs> and uh, well, Mahmoud has, has worked with us and Jinsuk on making a report that is really, re and I would say there are numbers saying, oh, these are the problems they're affected. But the numbers is not important, is whether this is fixed or not. Yes. Because in any construction, there's a problem. But the challenge is your capacity to fix the problem. And I think that's where we were able to develop that relationship between Hassan's team and my team. That to the point that inspection is not anymore a policing, it's not a policing exercise. It's an exercise of uh, finding a solution or even improving. Because sometimes there's no problem. But if we can improve it, that's much better. It. So I, I think that it becomes a very uh, const constructive process. I have been part of that uh, inspection uh, and I've seen how it works. I've seen the engagement, the discussion. So it's not anymore the typical, oh, somebody has to police, you know. It's, uh, that's why I, I would say, I, this is, I, I can say it with confidence and we can see it in our reports that the health and safety condition has really, uh, has really, not, not really improved. I think it, it has really uh, one of the best. It's the BWA inspector is telling me, I'm bad, you know. We have that in our country, you know, that is even better than ours, no? And and we are not only talking about safety, we're also talking about of health. Because health well, one, is, is, is a very yeah. important, especially yeah. during the time of COVID. And yes. the sun. Uh, I, well, actually, I wanted to talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, uh, I like to <laughs> to to recognize, you know, uh, we have been briefed by uh, your team. Uh, that you really manage, you know, it's difficult. It's, it's not just in Qatar, around the world, it's yes. difficult. 
uh, all of us have difficulty, but you are able to manage Thank you. Uh, the safety and health in the accommodation as well as in the site, you know? And well, let's, let's pivot to that. Um, Hassan, I mean, as, as many countries were, um, Qatar got hit pretty hard by COVID. And when that happened, um, you know, what did you guys do? Because I think this is also important. COVID's still yes. here. And they're going to start other mega sporting events, be it in Beijing, be it in Mexico, be it in, you know, right? They're going to start preparations for mega sporting events. Um, what did you do? And what advice do you have? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, first thing what we did uh, early on was uh, realizing the impact that COVID had uh, physically, we uh, uh, separated all at-risk employees and workers. You know, we endeavored to- now, How many workers are we talking about? Uh, I believe it's 18,000. Uh, so 18,000 workers we're yes, talking about. 18,000 workers. Out of the 18,000 workers, I think we recognized you know, we separated, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's about 3,000 um, high-risk workers. Um, um, and I'll have, I'll have um, uh, you know, the, the, the team confirm that. And one thing it's important to highlight first, we were able to identify who was at high risk, who are high-risk workers or not. It was as a result of an initi initiative that we launched about, I think maybe been, it's been probably now about two years ago, which is the annual medical checkups. So we performed annual medical checkups on our workers, um, you know, looking at a full checkup on um, you know, any heart issues, blood pressure, diabetes, so on, color blindness, you know, wide range of issues. We identified, we identified those. Um, and, you know, we were able to implement, uh, I believe the system was called the TPP solution one or something. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a solution that's utilized in, in, in England. They kind of created a uh, common database amongst five of our, uh, stadium. So we actually had uh, uh, one database for all the workers' uh, uh, health uh, charts and so on. And so when COVID hit, we were able to relatively rapidly recognize who is, at, who is considered high risk. And so what we did was we isolated them. We found uh, uh, alternative accommodations for them and took them out of the workforce, kept them isolated, obviously with enough monitoring and so on. Uh, and, and just, you know, keep, keep, kept an eye on them. For the remaining of the workers, what we did was we introduced educational initiatives in terms of social distancing, what is needed, what is not needed, what can be done, what cannot be done. Uh, we, and, and, you know, we, we disseminated the information through many different formats. Uh, we developed an app uh, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a hotline that actually had uh, different languages for people to communicate and, you know, and, and, and uh, uh, educate themselves about COVID and what needs to be done. Uh, we, uh, you know, during, for example, uh, the mess halls or during accommodation, we tried to kind of work in a way to, to very, you know, I, I won't, you know, not strictly, but rather, you know, to enforce the concept of social distancing. But also we tried to create a balance on another element, which was something that when COVID first started hitting and, and you know, uh, people are under lockdown, I think people didn't recognize, but we recognized early on was the issue of mental health, right? When all of a sudden you're locked down, you don't know what is happening. Nobody really knows what's going on. Um, there's, there's either a sense of panic that starts developing, a sense of uh, anxiety that starts developing. And also if it's a prolonged period of time and you don't have a sense of normalcy in your life, a sense of depression starts kicking in. So that's something that we recognized also early on. And we started developing uh, you know, hotlines and applications and so on. Uh, in different languages as well for people to talk to and, and communicate with 
professionals in, uh, you know, in, in this area, in, in, the med in, in the mental health area and the emotional health area as well. And we kind of tried to address that as well. So it was, it was you know, trying to address the, trying to do the preventative element, trying to do, uh, you know, through isolating the at-risk workers, educating people about um, hygiene, educating people about social distancing, um, uh, you know, whether it's at work or at uh, the accommodation, while at the same time trying to balance the medical or the mental health aspect of it. And that was part of why, you know, life to a certain extent it never stopped in Qatar. You know, we never stopped for long. We actually, life to a large extent, you know, maybe with a, with a smaller rate of uh, progress, but nevertheless, life generally in Qatar continued. And, you know, uh, at, a, at a smaller capacity, but people still went to the offices, things still went through to resemble a level of normalcy, to kind of capture that element or try to address that element of mental health. Now, for the people who uh, did, uh, um, were infected, uh, there were, uh, obviously there was a government, uh, government facilities that was developed. Uh, they were taken out of uh, the general population. They were taken into uh, um, government uh, dedicated medical facilities. And then we ended up having our own medical facilities as well. Uh, for you know, to quarantine anybody that was uh, infected by COVID uh, with full medical health, full medical checkup, uh, you know, checking on anybody, seeing, seeing, uh, you know, making sure that everybody's fine, uh, constant medical uh, oversight or medical um, uh, inspections, just making sure that everybody who, who is uh, infected by COVID isn't suffering. And obviously anybody that's unfortunately uh, you know, would be under critical health, then they would be taken to the ICU, ICU units that were, that were government-based. Uh, and of course, here in Qatar, the one thing that I'm, I have to say in our medical, our, our health system, generally, I'm, I'm very proud of it, no person was left unattended to. In terms of testing, the government generally, and we took a leaf out of their book, uh, you know, did not only aggressive testing, but it was contact tracing, right? So if an individual was positive, then we would, we would form, uh, you know, we would come isolate the people that were in direct contact with them, uh, do the testing, isolate them, observe them, find out, you know, after a period of time, who was positive and who was not negative, whoever was negative, then would go back in terms of, uh, you, know, the, uh, you know, back into, uh, you know, uh, uh, public engagement or public, uh, uh, you know, within the public, the rest who were positive, would either go to the government facilities or within our own facilities, medical facilities, again, with all the medical uh, checkup uh, and medical uh, care that, that was needed. And, you know, I think as a result of that, yes, the numbers, generally speaking, in Qatar, when it came to COVID, were relatively high compared to uh, other countries. Uh, but, I, but, you know, if you, can, if, you, if you look at the stats in relation to uh, uh, deaths relating to COVID, uh, or even, uh, you know, people in intensive uh, care units, the number is relatively low globally uh, in comparison to the number of, of uh, infected people. And like I said, that was as a direct result of a very um, aggressive contact tracing uh, activity uh, to, to identify people who had COVID. And um, I, I- So you were able to relatively contain it? Relatively, is that, is that yes. Right? I, I think the idea is relatively contain it to the extent that the health system was not overwhelmed. Uh, it was able, you know, we were able to capture it at a certain point in time where people did not, you know, uh, so that so that the people that were infected had medical supervision. So that if their situation got worse, they were taken care of immediately. So it doesn't, you know, all of a sudden deteriorate at a very rapid rate. 
And at the same time, they were taken care of, you know, when, when they had it so that, uh, you know, to avoid them deteriorating, you know, fair enough. There's not much that you could do with COVID, but, you know, they'd be given, for example, you know, vitamin C doses, they'd be, you know, uh, their fever, whatever needed to be done to make sure that the fever is kept under control or so on, so that it doesn't let, it's not left unattended so that the person then deteriorates to a worse condition. Especially people that had, you know, that we, and, and, and that's the other thing. People that we recognized that were, you know, that were high uh, risk and had COVID then would have, you know, uh, more intense supervision or a much more closer supervision because we recognize that there are, you know, high risks. So there might be um, elements that might, you know, or they might deteriorate to a worse condition and we'd be able to kind of uh, uh, intervene before it gets out of hand. Sure. And I know, um, so workforce of 18,000 about, um, you know, and, and you have a national rate of, of infection, right, which every country has, they publish them. You know, what were you able to achieve through all the measures that you implemented um, in terms of, I don't know, whatever, however you're tracking it? Uh, well, I mean, let me start off also, I just forgot one important point that I didn't, that I didn't mention when we took, when we talked about the steps that we've taken. Um, you know, all these workers that, you know, especially the workers that were taken out of um, uh, the workforce and isolated, the high, the high uh, risk workers, you know, the, the ones that were above 55, the ones that had chronic conditions and so on, their salaries continue till this day being paid, even though they haven't been redeployed into the into our workforce. But their salaries were, you know, the salaries didn't stop because they were not working. That was something that we also undertook in ourselves, uh, you know, to ensure that their salaries continue pay, being paid because we recognize also the impact this may have back home as well. So that 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 uh, continued. Um, in terms of, you know, what we've been able to achieve, I think work has continued. Um, we have uh, a healthy workforce, I'm proud to say. Um, we've had, you know, the steps that we've taken, I think, in terms of the numbers of engagement showcases, I think, that we took the right action and we addressed the right issues. So I'll give you an example, you know, for the mental health campaign, you know, the app that we've developed uh, and the content that we've developed, we've had about 200,000 downloads. And that in itself, the number itself recognizes the fact that it was something that was in demand. And I think that in itself means that, you know, we were able to uh, um, capture uh, a very, or, or address a very important uh, element uh, that I believe, you know, led to uh, a, a healthier workforce, if you will. And so, well, and so well, it's these kinds of examples that we've been able to kind of move forward on. I was going to say to you, Ambit. Yeah, not just, Go Hassan, ahead. I think one of really a very strategic, uh, thing that you have done is prior to COVID, you already did a massive health check yes. and documented, the computerized this. The computerized so when system, COVID the came, you were able to isolate, you know? Very quickly, absolutely, and yes. Very quickly, you know? So I think that that, that is really an, an important achievement uh, uh, that you have done it early on, even still without the COVID, you know? <laughs> Right. So you know who was particularly vulnerable. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So I'm going to pivot in the last sort of segment of our, of our chat today around, you know, the world beyond sort of the, I don't want to say the walls, but, you know, an event has a footprint, yes. right? Everybody knows that you, you, you work, uh, you know, preparing for a World Cup or an Olympic Games, and there's a footprint of the event. There's stadiums or there's venues, there's hotels and hospitality that's engaged in it. But then there's 
but then there's the legacy piece, right? Hassan, yes. which, which you've been dedicated to and, and Amba, you as well. So, you know, the promise of mega sporting events that we always hear about when you're bidding is legacy. And this is what, these are all the legacies from this event that are gonna be realized. I would like to hear about, through the lens of what we've been talking about today, mm -hmm. through the lens of this working relationship, what are the legacies beyond the footprint of the World Cup that are now either through the labor reforms or in other areas which are now either happening or have a chance of happening and then we'll look at sort of the other side of that so they... just please please Amber. you start not to optic up go ahead um yes yes so no the Maybe our expectation, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it, had to sweet, it had to come in, Ambit. It had to come yes, in. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, use that uh, opportunity, you know, our expectation. No, we, we also, we see the World Cup as, as not an event. It has, you know, it has a contribution in the future. Uh, and, uh, and for us, you know. I think, uh, well, for us, it's about, if you talk about the World Cup, you know, in Qatar, uh, labor rights will be one of the highlights. You know? I think that that is really important. Now, uh, we have, a, you know, I'm, we have welcomed the new labor reforms. I think this is really good. And this, this, the labor reforms this year is just part of the series of labor reforms in the past uh, two to three years, no? Mm -hmm. And those are all good, you know. But for us, we believe that that labor reform will only be meaningful and felt by the migrant workers when it is fully implemented. So I think this is really important that across the world, you know, many countries can come up with the labor reforms, you know, but the implementation is very slow. Mm -hmm. But I think the World Cup is a catalyst of making that implementation possible. So now I'm a bit, uh, uh, a bit, you know, looking at how do we effectively implement because it's a big challenge and we only have a short period. And I think uh, it should not come anymore from outside. I believe that Qatar has the capacity and I would say that the, the model that we have, that the Supreme Committee have done is really a good model of setting up a workers' welfare standard beyond, no, above the minimum wage, above the minimum requirements of the law. Supreme Committee has Im implemented that. Go beyond, even beyond the welfare standard, I think, when you set up at the beginning, no? Yes, absolutely. Then the second part is, if you talk about the workers' welfare forum, it's there. You don't need to reinvent this. Yes. When it comes to health and safety, you know, looking at the mechanism, the guidelines, the measures, it's there. Looking at the grievance committee, Hassan, the Supreme Committee have developed that. And the Supreme Committee has the capacity. So my question actually is, 
can that be upscaled to the national level? You know, Oof. I think th th this is the the most. Th this is the only way because you have a rigid way. We, we have seen it. You know, uh, mm. when we see things, you follow up. You have people around. You monitor it. You know, it's really a very rigid implementation. And for us, this is really important. And you know, I think this is the legacy uh, I'm expecting. <laughs> Hassan, no? So that, that's, I think that is needed. And it doesn't have to come from the outside because you have it inside. Okay. The second part, you know, you might, as we, as we talk about, sometimes we agree and sometimes we disagree. You know? And we always are open to talk about our disagreement, but we focus on our agreements, no? Yes. Of course, part of the legacy for that we expect that we hope that in the future, one day, the trade union will be allowed in Qatar. I, I will not tell you <laughs> tomorrow or next year, but a process, a process towards that, you know? Uh, like, you know, BWI, the workers' welfare committees, their community organizations, you know, uh, making them involved. Yes. They, they participate. Maybe if we grow this together, you know, as a step uh, of, because if we talk about labor reforms, for us, the participation of workers is key in ensuring the implementation. In, in your site, the workers' welfare uh, forum was key in implementing your standards. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So I think if we can move close. So anyway, so that's a bit <laughs> of our expectation. <laughs> I, you know, I, I knew that was going to come at a point in time and I was ready for it. <laughs> Damn, uh, no, I mean, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's, you know, going back to one, I think it's, it's important to highlight, you know, as, as Ambit said, um, legacy is being delivered as we're speaking right now, you know, from our point of view, legacy is being, de you know, delivered. Uh, reforms are being done, not only in relation to the Supreme Committee, but on a wider scale within the nation. Uh, you know, the, work, the, the minimum wage, for example, the non-discriminatory minimum wage uh, is, is, um, something that, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, unique within the region. You know, most other countries in the, in, in, in the region have different minimum wages based on bilateral agreements with other countries. What we've done here in the state of Qatar is have a non-discriminatory blanket minimum wage for all workers, including domestic workers, which is, a, which is you know, a relatively big step for, for, for the region. Um, you know, the, the, the uh, elements of kafala that were there that were, very stringent that you know faced a lot of criticism have been blown away now and and you know freedom of movement for workers within the state of Tatar uh, has been granted that just sorry yeah that just that happened just, yes, right that just happened. The, I mean it was it was in the pipeline yeah. for a while and now it just it, it, it just happened and just came through uh, so you know results are being delivered you know uh, the other elements are for example you know the upgrade of accommodation standards over the years um, there, there, there's a lot of things you know that, that, that have happened over the years that indicate that legacy is being delivered. And we're talking about legacy of an event. Usually we talk about the future. This is being delivered as we speak. 
Now, of course, where do we go from here? Um, you know, one thing that, that Ambed said, and, I, and I, you know, I'm hopeful of, you know, the model that we took within the Supreme Committee was one of collaboration. And maybe, you know, I didn't address it earlier when we talked about stakeholders. Uh, you know, the model of collaboration was based on trust, common goals. And that was one of the reasons that we had, you know, and mutual respect between ourselves and BWI. But I'd like to, of course, you know, aside from commending my team, you know, the internal team within the Supreme Committee that developed that, you know, the system and followed it rigidly, contractors and companies also were a very important factor in the success of, you know, where we're at today, right? Um, it wasn't always the stick that we came and hit them with and forced these down their throats. A lot of companies willingly participated in developing the standards. A lot of companies wanted and had the intention to do it, but did not have the capability or the time, or there was uh, uh, financial issues there. And we worked with them, collaborated with them hand in hand to lift them up to the standards that we had. And BWI were, were, were an important part of this. It wasn't a question of you don't meet the standards, get out, we're not gonna talk to you. It was rather, you know, you, you're showing an interest and a commitment to doing this, let's work together. So the collaborative effort throughout the entire chain the entire elements of business owners, the Supreme Committee and BWI, and as Ambit said, you know, the workers as well. There was, the, you know, we, it, it, was, it was a very important, crucial factor. And it resulted in um, audit process. It, it resulted in the development of standards at, you know, at, a, at such a high level, not adhering to the minimum requirements, but rather, you know, becoming standards that I'm very proud to say can be implemented anywhere in the world, um, you know, relatively easily. Um, and that is, you know, that working model, aside from what we've done, the actual aspects that I'd love, you know, and, and working on and we're gradually seeing it expand beyond the Supreme, Supreme Committee to a nationwide uh, implementation, you know, the joint working committees and, and so on. And, you know, some of, the, some of the other elements that we've got within the Supreme Committee are gradually moving on to, uh, uh, you know, within, within the country. Uh, but it's also the collaborative approach of bringing the business owners as well, making sure that their interests are heard and their work is considered and their uh, buy-in is very important, bringing on board the workers and us ourselves as well as, as, as let's say, regulators slash supervisors of these initiatives. That formula is what I'd love to be able to see go beyond the Supreme Committee when it comes to worker welfare but I'm, I'm, you know, I'll be even audacious enough to say that collaborative effort to go also in other forms of topics that, you know, people approach with good intentions, but with opposing views on how to achieve it, take that approach towards trying to resolve and find common ground and create small little bite-sized steps towards uh, achieving these overall bigger goals. And, and you know, once you start chipping away gradually, you begin to realize you make big progress, but it needs, it needs that collaborative approach. It needs that trust. It needs that mutual respect to be able to achieve it. And, and look, you know, going back to the second element that Ambit said, you know, I've always said it, look, I've got the utmost respect for trade unions, you know, but the demographics of the state of Qatar are slightly different. Uh, that's why I've always said, you know, let's, let's work with the worker welfare forums and worker representation. And look, where the conversation will end up down the road, you know, you never know. Right, so so I won't say no to it, Ambit. You know, like so, so we're clear. You never know where we'll end up with it. But you know, it's always step by step, my friend, hand in hand. Yeah. <laughs> well, if there was um, 
you know, I, I love what you just said, Hassan, about sort of the, the, the banging away at the relationship piece, even though you don't agree, because, I mean, that really is the essence of what stakeholder engagement yes. is. It's standing there and not agreeing, and, and, but standing there still and, and still having the desire to find common ground and work it yes. out. Even though you're going to hear things you don't like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> you're going to hear things that aren't easy. Mm -hmm. You're going to turn around and have to sell it to people that aren't yes. going to like what you're selling them, right, as leaders. Um, and this is where, um, this is one of the reasons why the center wanted to highlight this case study is because it's just a powerful example of what's possible when there's a commitment to engage with stakeholders and particularly those who don't. And can I add them. one more element, maybe I forgot to mention, Mary, is you got to be willing to put the work in you got to be willing to sit on the table and put the work in, um, yeah. you know, because that, you know, the trust, the respect, um, you know, the, the collaboration, uh, it, it's always nice and easy if you're willing to sit down and, and, you know, give platitudes and speak and say, you know, yes, and, and sit on the table and everybody's, you know, uh, uh, just within their fortress of opinions and ideas and trying to force it. But when, you know, when you start, when I start, you know, when, when, when I uh, uh, put my hand out and, and Ambit reached out as well, and we kind of, you know, put hand in hand together and held hands about this, we were able to put the work in. Our teams were able, you know, were, 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 uh, had full intention of putting the work in to make this work and make this collaboration work. And that's, that's one very important factor that I forgot to mention earlier. Terrific. Yeah, okay, can I... Oh, sorry, Ambit, no, go ahead. I, I, of course, I'd like to take the opportunity that this is, you know, that our uh, membership, uh, our leadership, and, you know, are very much committed. Uh, it's, it, it's basically making a difference uh, for the migrant workers. Uh, that, that's that's objective, no? You can take away all the politics and the positioning but our focus uh, is really uh, on the migrants. And I think that's, that's, that's uh, between me and, and the son, the focus is, okay, fix the problem of the migrants. You know, you don't Absolutely. sacrifice the lives of the migrants. If we have problem, let's fix it. Let's and, fix it. And, uh, well, I'd like to take the opportunity of my, the, the inspectors that we are, you know, the BWI inspectors as coming in and out. Uh, uh, Mary, we are still continuing the inspection, you know? Yes. But it's a virtual inspection. Virtual you know? inspections. <laughs> so we have to continue. But I'm just saying this because our unions has really committed, Hassan, uh, it's not only me. I think when we signed this agreement, it really, really meant that uh, the unions are committed. You know, the unions... Uh, that our inspectors are uh, giving their services and exp expertise for free. Absolutely, absolutely. And then the, the unions are paying. It's, it's our decision. That we want to be independent, you know, uh, from, from the Supreme Committee, but with intention. We, others might think that, you know, like when I talked to IOC, they said, oh, how much are we paying you, no? So I think <laughs> they said, this is not about that, you know? This is about you're getting zero money yes, from no. the Supreme Court. And I, and I think this is where our mutual respect uh, absolutely you know, that's why uh, uh, BWI and, and the Supreme Committee 
uh, are, we can say, equal partner into this with a Hold common interest. Well, Hassan Al-Tawadi and Ambit Yusun, it's been a pleasure to have you on the Sport and Rights podcast. Thank you for stopping by and, and sharing uh, your journey with us. And um, I, uh, I wish you both a lot of success in the months ahead as you deliver the World Cup and Ambit with your ongoing work as you look to implement, um, you know, these, what we've learned through this project into other uh, sporting events worldwide and protecting workers along the way. Thank you very much, you both. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Mary. Ambit, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sport and Rights Podcast brought to you by the Center for Sport and Human Rights. Please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. To find out more about the Center, visit sporthumanrights.org and follow us on Twitter at Sport and Rights.